Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Meredith. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Resource Room Podcast. Oh, thank you, Amanda. I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited to talk with you tonight all about IEPs and the process of writing an IEP. And so before we dive in, I want you to tell us a little bit about you, what you do, both teaching and outside of teaching, just so listeners know a little bit about you. Absolutely. So I am a special education teacher. I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. And so I love being in the classroom and and being a part of the resource room and working with students. I'm also a case manager. So I also get to help um, coach and lead the other special education teachers in my, um, at my school and help them through writing IEPs and going attending their meetings and eligibility meetings and all of those things. So that's exciting. I was a general education teacher first, and then I went back to school, got my master's in special education. So I've been doing this for a while and I just continue to enjoy it. I've taught in three different school districts. I've done a little bit of everything in special education. So I've done preschool. I've done kindergarten through sixth grade. I've worked in a multi-disability rise unit. So I've done a little bit of everything. I haven't quite reached high school yet with all the transition services, but I have done a lot of professional development in those areas as well. So I can help um, other teachers who are going through that, but I've never taught high school. So I've done a, a lot, but not quite made it to high school just yet. I think that might be a good thing, or at least in my book, that would be a good thing. Uh, I don't know if I'm brave enough for high school. Right. I agree. I just one of those, I know what my area is. I know my lane is, is, is elementary school, kind of maybe middle school, but yeah, high school's not my thing right now. Yeah. I don't blame you there. So um, I think all of those skills combined probably make you an absolutely amazing case manager and coach and mentor because you have just a wealth of experience in all kinds of different areas. I definitely try. It's nice. A couple of years ago, I was actually the teacher of the year for the state of Alabama for District 3. So that was quite an honor to get oh, to represent. Congratulations. Yeah. And to get to represent my state and get to go to a lot of professional development. And it kind of kick-started my speaking um, engagements where I got to travel and talk to different teachers in different areas. And so I feel like I have been on a little bit of everything in special education. So it makes me excited to share it with other people and share it with you. Yeah, good. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what your caseload looks like, because you mentioned, you know, you have kids that you are in charge of, but also caseload management. What does that look like as far as balance and time? What are you doing throughout a day or a week or a month? Sure. So I do first start with the children that I am in charge of and the ones that I do actually work with on a day-to-day basis. I plan my schedule and I look at all of their services and see what they need and then I time it out. So right now I'm able because I do have a smaller caseload this year. I only have 13 students that I actually work with during the week where I'm 
in other districts and other different years, I have had up to 33. And so that I was not managing other special education teachers at the time. I was strictly just in the resource um, area and helping students. But this year I was able to, to kind of do a little bit of everything. And so I work with my kids. Usually I do it about Monday through Thursday. And then on Friday is when I take that day and I'm able to do work with my other special education teachers, monitor their caseloads. Um, and so that's kind of helpful in those ways to kind of have a Friday where I have a paper work day. So when you say monitor their students, are you talking about progress monitoring, checking in like a consultation? What does that look like? What do you mean by that? Sure. So what I do for the other teachers that I work with is I look at their caseloads. I look at when their information is due. I make sure that they are tracking their students and their with their data. We use different um, apps where we're at or different um, online services that that help us virtually track the students. So I just make sure their input is in as well as mine. Um, so everything is is on course for the school year. So that way, when we do get to IEP meetings, we do have that information that's in there and ready to go. Um, so that can be very helpful. I also help them when they're writing IEPs or they have to attend a, you know, a referral meeting or eligibility meeting. I review their documents before the meeting. So that way, if they have any questions or something might need to be changed, if they missed something, because we're all human, we all oh, miss for things. Sure. And so the paperwork can be daunting sometimes, especially if you have new special education teachers. And let's face it, they don't teach you much in college about how to write an IEP. Um, and so if you want to know, you have to have a really good mentor to, to take you along that journey. And so I'm just privileged enough to get to do that with a lot of the teachers that I work with to help them out. How many students are you a case manager for where other teachers are servicing those students? Okay, so the other teacher, so I have 13 on my caseload that I monitor and work with every day. The other teachers have about um, 16 to 22. And so total, there's about about 60 that we have that we definitely, you know, check up on and monitor and, and um, work with that I make sure that all those IEPs are done around 60. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. We do have, um, it's a K through third um, grade school that I work with in elementary school. And then we have two, we have pre-K there as well. And so we look at the speech teachers are also included in that count. So I feel like you of all people are the one to talk about IEPs too, because you're literally doing that so much. You're coaching others and helping others. And so to me, that sounds very overwhelming. And so I think oftentimes we look at IEPs and paperwork, or we hear those words and we're like, oh my gosh, instant overwhelm. Why do you think we feel so overwhelmed with paperwork or with IEPs? Why is that overwhelming? I think the first thing is, is people are not trained. They're not, they don't understand how to write an IEP. They don't know all of the documents that go into it. And it's really not that. And I will tell you, I've been doing this for 20 years and I love it. I really enjoy writing IEPs. I enjoy reading over the documents. Um, it's just something that I have grown to love because I want to do well. And I want the parents and the students to have the best IEP that they can have. And I want that collaboration to take place. So when you think about an IEP, you think about, oh my goodness, this is like a legal binding document. And if I don't do it right, I'm going to get sued. And I think that 
puts a pressure on the teacher and then they get into a tizzy about, oh my gosh, I've got to write all these things down. I've got to record everything. I've got to put it all in there. And um, you do have to put a lot of information in there, but you also have to know when to kind of pull back and not make it so overwhelming. So instead of having, you know, a goal for every single sub subject in every single area that the student may or may not struggle, but they could struggle in that area. I've seen IEPs with 18 goals. Oh, and that is just too many. You know, that's really too many goals. You, there's no way that you could focus and get them to be successful if you have that many. Um, you know, so you want to dial it back and, you know, I always say a really good written IEP. with a, It's a goal for every subject area. And sometimes you have two in reading or two in math, for, definitely. But you want to keep it anywhere between like six, maybe eight at the max to have that type of goal, unless they're on alternate standards. And then, yes, they do have goals for different areas. And that's a different type of IEP. But if you keep it simple and you keep um, your documentation and, and where the kid actually needs it, it keeps it more organized, more easier to write, not so daunting. And if you take it step by step, then you can get it done in a timely manner. It shouldn't take you that long. I mean, it does take a while to write an IEP, but if you can take it in an hour, write a good one, a draft copy in an hour, and then go back and review it. So maybe max two hours to get it done from the beginning to the end. How would you recommend teachers to kind of understand those steps, make a list of those steps, track that process? Because obviously it's not something you can give to me because our districts are different. Our system is different. What do you recommend for the teacher who is feeling scattered or is feeling like, oh my gosh, this is taking me so much time. How do you begin to organize that process to then save yourself some time? Sure. So I keep a folder running record of all the data that I'm definitely going to use to track the goals to make sure that we know that they're being successful. And so if you go ahead and have that folder in place, I have an IEP essential kit that I use that I have a lot of documentations with little shortcuts for myself and just um, checklists so that you know that you've got this information ready to go. So that can be very helpful if you know that you need to, you know, go ahead and just kind of jot down what the student's strengths are, have it on a piece of paper. And so while you're working with them in your, in your room, you can go ahead and say, okay, these are their areas of strengths. So then that way, when you get ready to write their profile page or their present level performance, you already have it written down as what their strengths are. That can be really easy and helpful for you. And it kind of kind of kickstart writing the writing process, give you those ideas, start with the, ch the child's strengths. And then you want to look at what their weaknesses are. And so if you have a page that says, you know, over here, these are their their um, strengths. And then over here, these are their weaknesses. So that can help you figure out which goals you want for the next school year. So that can be helpful and keep it in a folder. That way um, you can just continue to add to that documentation. So when you get ready, you can just pull each child has a full, every child has a folder with their IEP in it, but I have another folder that I put for their data and their information collection in there. I also make sure that I have a student input form that I interview the kids. I ask them about what goal they want to work on for the next school year and involve them in their IEP because that's really important. Um, so that's in there. I have a parent input form that I always send home for the parents to fill out to kind of help me figure out what goals they're looking for. So if you do that early enough, you know, a couple months before you have to write the IEP, that can save you a lot of time when you sit down to write it because you've already got that information right there in front of you. And the general education teachers. Now, 
I love my gen ed teachers, but sometimes it can be really hard to get documents back from them. So what I start early and I always include a, a nice gel sparkle pen with it. And I'm oh, like, Hey, idea. right. I'm like, here's a pen and here's this input form I need from you and um, give them a date when you need it back. And then sometimes I'll give them something else, just like I do my kids with a reward. Thank you so much for turning this in. You know, here's a cute little notepad and I send it back to them um, as a thank you because they're very busy with their class load too, but you, their input is invaluable. You've got to have that as well. So if you kind of start, I try to do it. And what I do is I have a paper calendar. I'm old school. Yes, I have digital on my phone and everything for my reminders, but my old school calendar is sitting there and I put when the child's IEP date is due, I go ahead and flip there to if it's in May. So then in February, I have it written down, send home, you know, the parent notice or send home the input form to get that input form back, give it to the gen ed teacher. I just go ahead and remind myself that that needs to happen in February. So that way you got a couple weeks to get all of that information back. So that can help you cut down on some of those steps of that daunting process of where do I begin? How do I get all this information? Because you can't do it yourself. You do have to involve your team. And I go back a lot of times to like, if you don't have a good plan, it's not going to get done. And then you're going to be scrambling and you're going to be upset when the classroom teacher or the parent or whomever doesn't have their stuff turned in. But if you don't give them some notice, then you can only be frustrated with yourself. So you kind of do have to have a good plan, a good timeline, because you know there's going to be that teacher or that parent that you're tracking down paperwork for. And if you're doing it two days before the conference, then you're screwed. Like, you know, that's on you. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then who wants to go to an IEP meeting and say that? Well, I didn't get your parent input form back. Well, then the parent's going to say, well, you didn't give it to me. Or, you know, because we're all guilty. I have children of my own. I mean, you have to check those backpacks. You have to check those folders. But you also have soccer and you have taekwondo and you have tumbling. And so it is hard. So you want to make sure you give those parents plenty of time. And then sometimes if you do a Google form, which is really easy and send it to the parent to fill out, and then it's digital, you can do that for your gen ed teachers too. If you don't want to do a paper copy, it just kind of depends on what your district requires you. Some districts require you to print it out and have it in the folder. Um, so when you with their IEP. So that way you've got all of that information and it's there and some districts don't. So it just kind of depends on what you, what you want to do, but I say do both, send them a digital copy, send them a paper copy. That way maybe you, you'll get one of them back. And then whichever they prefer, fine. Either way you get the data you need. If you do have to have a paper copy um, lately for our RTI submissions, it's all through a Google form, but it just so happens the number of questions and the way they're formatted prints perfectly as a double-sided paper. Then I still have one paper. So depending on the questions that you're asking on your teacher scale or your teacher form or um, your parent form, it could be maybe printed for that folder later if that is a requirement for your district. Yes, absolutely. Um, you talked a little bit about your folders. Is that something that like at the beginning of the year, do you just prep you know, maybe you have 13 kids, so you prep 20 folders, or I know I have 20 kids, so maybe I prep 25 or 30. Do you prep those early and then just pull from them all year long? I really do. And I won't say I have no, I haven't always done that. I will say that, but it, I have in the last five years have started that process early. I have learned that 
go ahead and get the folders ready. I go ahead and print out, um, I have an IEP meeting checklist that I print out things I need to do before the meeting, things I need to do during the meeting and things I need to do after the meeting. And I just staple it to the inside of that folder on one side. And then I have two gym clips on the other that I can just slowly start to put things inside there. Um, so that way it's all ready as, as I go. So I do that at the beginning of the school year. I also have a folder that I prep for all of my students as well. And my, um, the teachers that I work with, I do those for the other teachers that I coach to just so that way they have it and I can do that for them. Um, I also have a red, I love to color code everything. So these are red because they go home, but I also do that for my, my kids. And I have a red folder that has a keep it home side and, a, and please send back to school side. But that's where I put all of my meeting notices in there. I put anything that needs to go home on the front of the folder. It says, please return um, to Miss Mitchell. That way on the front and that way they know this folder is going home. So that way, if you need to put any important documents in there, you can put it in an envelope, but also it's going home in that red folder. And it helps. And a lot of times at the beginning of the school year, I will do a video and I will email it out to all of my parents, welcoming them to, welcoming them to school and then um, letting them see the folder, know that this is coming. And that's also helpful, too, if you prep it at the beginning of the school year. So do you send that home every day or is it like, no, they might have a red folder this week because it's two months before their conference? They might have it a week after the conference because you're sending home that final copy or right. is it something they're checking in and out every single day? No, it is just something that I use for communication back and forth. Now, some of the students that have like a daily behavior report that I have in charge of to check, yes, that would go home every every week. I typically do those weekly um, check-ins with those parents, but the ones that you just need information going back and forth, that is when um, they know it's coming. So if they see it, they sit in the child's backpack and they're supposed to come back to me. It goes on the front. So it's more of a, that's, hey, this is an important document inside. I need you to look at this and fill it out and send it back. I kind of like that because sometimes, even though in the conference, I might say, hey, I'll be sending home a manila envelope and it'll have, you know, a staple copy. That's for you to keep. All I need back is the signature. They still will send back the staple copy. And it's like, this is your copy. This is for your records for your child. Why are you sending it back to me? <laughs> so that would help alleviate that. Yes. And I also have stamps. I try to any any easy fix. I've, you know, Etsy shops, there's great stamps out there that say like, you know, your copy to keep, st stamp that on there. I have personalized stamps that say, please sign for Miss Mitchell. You know, I spent the money and I bought them because it's quick. It's easy. You stamp it on there. You know, please keep this for your records kind of thing. Um, so that's another easy tip that it's just made it simple. That sounds really great. I like the idea of the folders. It sounds very organized and kids that you've had for years now know the drill. Like it's just, you know, you know what you're doing. They know what to expect. So I like that a lot. And like you, I love color coding. So I think it would be good to be able to say your red folder, where's that red folder? Um, is that something just at the beginning of the year when back to school sales are going on, you scoop up as many red folders as you can for five or 10 cents and just stock up on? I do. I, I do. And I can we I order them from different places um, that already have what, what I need written on the inside. But I will say. I reached out to some local um, dentist office, doctor's offices that were trying to do, want to do some publicity and they actually bought the folders for me and put their logos on the back. So that way it was like free publicity for them. Yeah. And 
it was great. So um, they worked with a lot of the students that go to our school and they just wanted to, to get involved somehow. So I was like, hey, you want to buy these red folders for us? Um, they were like, absolutely. So that's an interesting, fun thing. Reach out to your local little offices. And a lot of times if you if they put their logo on your folder, then you just send it home. It's just, And that works for everybody. Win-win for all of us. Yeah. And I think that's just being brave enough to ask, you know, and maybe they say no, but maybe they say yes. And you just saved yourself some money there. That's a great idea. Um, So before we started recording, you and I were talking a little bit about scheduling and you're talking about 60 some kids that you're case managing for. That has to be just I don't, a scheduling nightmare. What does it look like for scheduling conferences, making sure that you're ready? What does that look like at your school? So we definitely use our calendar with um, making sure that we have our conference room. So we are able to use our big conference room at at our school. Um, And so we just use that as the calendar. We pull it out. We look at everybody's IEP dates. We print that out and see, you know, when are they due? Who's this what? And we try to give everybody a week to do their IEP meeting. Sometimes it takes longer. And so we schedule it that way. Like your week starting in April is here and we just kind of assign it. So you have this many days to get as many of you know your IEP meetings done. I've done it different ways in different districts. I've worked in three different ones, but this is the this one they did it um, by the week. So it has been um, interesting to get all your IEP meetings in. So you're doing four to five meetings a day and that is a lot, but once you, if you, you're used to it and once you prep for it and get ready for it, then you're done. And so that can be a nice uh, feeling once you've gotten all of that done. So it just does, it takes some planning. I actually started back in, in February, pulling it out, looking at, you know, who can come when, you know, getting those parents to look at their schedules and making sure that they can attend the meetings on certain days. And so you can get about four to five meetings in a day. Um, done. And as everybody just kind of looks at that. And we're very fortunate to um, be able to hire substitutes to cover our classes. So that way our students don't miss out on services. Because if you do have an IEP week, then you're not going to be able to work with your students. And that's not okay. We've got to make sure they're still getting the services that they're supposed to and that they're supposed to have provided for them. So um, we are able to do that with a substitute or a paraprofessional can come in the classroom and help give them those services as well. So again, it just takes a lot of pre-planning. I really like that idea, though. You and I were talking before we hit record about, you know, when you have them, some people do them by the birth month. We talked about that. Some people, they're doing them all in the spring. Some people might be doing them like, hey, you were identified in February originally. That was when your initial was. So every year we meet in February. Every place does it differently. But for me, I have meetings maybe two or three a month for my annuals. Then throw maybe one or two a month for initials. So that might be five or six times in a month that I'm missing this group here or this group there or that kind of thing. And sometimes like I try, if I'm going to have, you know, two or three meetings in a week or in a couple of weeks, I try not to plan them all at nine o'clock or all at two o'clock so that I'm not missing the same groups, but I'm still missing a group. And sometimes I can double up. Sometimes I can make it up later, you know, but then is it really making up a session if I'm just combining two groups and now instead of having four kids, I have eight or 10 kids. That's not really the service that they would have received otherwise. So I kind of like this, like, hey, Meredith, this is your week and you're going to be cranking out as many as you can in that week 
just because I think it helps kids not miss service all the time. Right. And we do tell the parents too, like, you know, we have a certain amount of time allotted for their IEP meeting and it it does go over and we don't want to, you know, put it into the next person's IEP and make that that meeting late, but we do want to make sure the parents feel like they have enough time as well. And so we're always like, if, you know, if you have any other questions, we'll be happy to schedule another meeting. We'll be happy to review all of this all over again. So we never want them to feel that pressure that they can't stay and talk about what they need to talk about. Um, but it is helpful though. I will say we do um, use like Google, um, the Google calendar where we are able to even to send it to the parents digitally and all the, the service providers, because it can be a scheduling nightmare when you have to invite the OT, the, the PT, the speech therapist, and you and the gen ed teacher and your LEA. And so if you send it all out there and it gets everybody on everybody's calendar and they're able to accept it, um, then, you know, automatically if everybody can come, you know, that those reminders are going to remind them, you know, an hour before the day before you can set them all that way too. And so that's that way you can go ahead and put in for a substitute if you need to, if we are able to and get it all done. Um, So it does, it does make that easier to get all that scheduling done for everybody. How much time do you allot for each conference? Or does it vary based on the student or eligibility? How many team members? Right. So basically what I do is I look at, we look at the kid and we, you know, the child and you know, the parents, you know, the ones that are going to come, the ones that you typically will have a lot of questions. And so I try to schedule at least an hour and a half for every meeting, but the ones that we know that probably might take longer because of the the severity of the child and their, and their services, you know, up to two hours, um, you know, is usually what I'll give. But then sometimes, you know, some can go three if you have a lot going on. Um, and I typically won't schedule any meeting, but that meeting for that day, because, you know, after a, a long IEP meeting, you just can't turn it over and start with another one. So it's just kind of case by case. But usually I see, you know, an hour is the typical time it does for one IEP meeting. But if you're reviewing an IEP from this school year and you're writing the IEP for the next school year, I really think it takes about an hour and a half to get both of those things done. I also liked earlier, you said, you know, you don't want the parent to feel rushed. If you have a parent in front of you, you want to hear what they have to say. You want to have conversation um, without feeling like you're stifling what they're saying, you know? So I think it's better to allow more time And if it's over in an hour or it's over in an hour and 10 minutes, great. But if it's not, at least you're not feeling like you're rushing things along because, oh my gosh, somebody else is sitting in the office waiting on me. They appreciate that too, the other parents. They don't, you know, they want, you want to make sure you're respectful of everybody's time. Exactly. And I think it just builds a good relationship because you can slow down. You can take time. We all know those parents who feel like they have to tell you every single bit of every single thing going on in their life or the history, that kind of thing. And so giving them the time is good. Do you have any tips or tricks or systems that you use to help teachers save time writing IEPs? Because we know it's a time-consuming process and there are so many parts and pieces How do we save time? What could we do, whether that's before, during, or after? All right, so I always make sure I have my IEP folder ready with all the data in it. But then I will tell you the biggest secret that I do that has helped me and helped all the teachers that I worked with. And it's kind of interesting. Not a lot of people have ever done it, Leslie, but I actually write my IEPs backwards. 
And I start with the signature page where I go ahead and put everybody's names in. This is how it is in my district. So we, at the back of ours is the signature page. Everybody signs it. Transfer of rights are on there. Extended school year services is on there. And so we start with that page because it's just a bunch of boxes and dates that you just have to check, check, check and write names in. So you've got that page. Boom. It's done. It's like, wow, that's it. That was so easy. That was so easy. And so then we go, the next page is just about the services and that you want to help and have the types of services they can have in the classroom, the accommodations they can have on assessments um, is all listed on that page. So we, I do that page next because you know what those kids need in the classroom off the top of your head. You've worked with them all year. It's so easy. You can just rattle them off. And then um, I do not, and I will say this, I do not copy and paste IEPs. All of my IEPs are very much original. Um, I just, I don't. That's a hill I will die on. I do not like it when I see it because I see it quite often because I review a lot of IEPs and see that. So, um, you know, sometimes teachers, yes, will put a, have a list of accommodations and a list of um, services that you can provide a child in the classroom all typed up in a Google Doc. And that's fine if you need those ideas and you need all of that there to help you. But, you know, as long as you're putting them in and you're putting the child's name in there and you're putting who's going to provide the service for them. Is it the gen ed teacher? Or is it the special education teacher? Just make sure you're doing it that way so it is individualized, but that does help you save time. But I'll do that page next and then boom, that page is done. Then I look at the goals and what goals we wanted to write for the child for that year. So then we write the goals and then you look at the present level and do all of that at the same time. And then we go back to the profile page, which is just kind of like an overview of the child. They're their strengths, um, their academic weaknesses and where they need help. Their parents, um, their parent input statement goes on that page. Um, most recent evaluations go on that page. So I have just found that it is way easier if you start from the back and you go all the way to the front because all the little just nitpicky little things that you have to get done that's very important to the IEP are all in the back. And then once you have those pages done, you're like, wow, I'm halfway through. This isn't so bad. I I can do this. And so that is very helpful. It saves some time. But then, of course, if you have that folder ready with all of your input statements from everybody that you need, that's going to save you a ton of time. Um, All of your data should be there that you've collected over the school year um, on your goals. So that can be in there as well if you have that ready. And I just kind of keep my checklist on that folder. So that way I'm checking it off as I'm preparing that folder for my IEP meeting. So I have it right there in front of me, you know, their report card, all of that kind of stuff goes in there as as well. Their absences, whatever diagnostics you use in your district to help determine their data all is in there. Um, So that way you have everything you need. So you're not running around trying to find all these pieces of paper and talking to different people. It's all right there in the folder. I like that idea of writing it backwards. I also feel, and maybe I'm wrong or maybe it's not really this way, but when you do that, it probably feels like you have like 75% of that thing done. You know, you have such a good chunk finished and really it didn't take much time. And I know every system is different. Every, you know, process or IEP in each state or district looks different. But for me, those things I could tackle in like, maybe 15 minutes. And if it's a student that I've already had, a lot of it is there. It just might need tweaking because, oh, you know what, in first grade, maybe you didn't need so much of this, but now you do as a second grader or, you know, whatever. Obviously it's going to need some modification or some adjustments, but not, it's not like starting from scratch. You're going to feel like you just kicked some butt because look at all you did. And now really from what I'm hearing you say, then you really only have a couple things left. Write a present level and write a goal or goals that would 
correspond with that. And that is time consuming if you do it well and if you do it right. But if that's the only thing you have left, that's going to feel pretty good. That's kind of how I, I do it. And it's made it um, made it go faster for, for me. And so I always tell other teachers that and they're like, I've never thought about that. And I was like, because you, when you start with the hard stuff, Sometimes your brain just gets stuck and it's like, start with the easy stuff, you know, get it done, knock it out. And then the other start just kind of flows. With your folders and you talked about, you know, their report card or their diagnostic information from, you know, whatever platform you use for testing students, who pulls that information? Is that what you're asking gen ed teachers for? Do you have access to that? Maybe you sit down and pull three or four at a time. What does that look like with getting some of that information? So what I do is I look at what needs to go in for the most recent evaluations and I make a little list. And so some of them I do have access to because just of who I am in the district and I'm allowed to have access to it, but other special education teachers might not. And so you need to find out who does have access. If you want to ask the gen ed teacher for it, you need to make sure you ask her and give her enough time to pull it. But a lot of times if you have um, a an instructional coach, they have access to that kind of thing that you can give them a list and, and have them printed out for you. Sometimes it's the counselor in some schools. Sometimes it's the assistant principal. You know, if you need like behavior reports or things like that, discipline records, those kind of people. Um, so in my checklist, I have all of that information listed. Some of it you needed, some of it you don't. But you need to figure out who you can get it from if you can't do it yourself as a special education teacher. And you need to just make sure that you're able to get that information and put it in your folder. So that way you can have that information right there at your fingertips. But mainly I have access to everything to pull that. And I do that for the teachers if they need it. That's really good. I like that. Where could people find some of the things that are inside your folder? For example, like, you know, your checklist. Obviously, it might need to be customized. But do you have a template or do you have some of the printable surveys? Where are you getting some of those things? So what I did um, last year is I kind of developed an IEP essential kit and I do, did put it on my website. So I do have a website. It's um, MeredithMitchellsMethods.com. And it is listed there to purchase. Um, I am not a teacher pay teacher kind of person. I love teacher pay teacher and will um, use everybody else's resources, but um, I just created it. I put it on my website. You can get it there. Um, it's, you know, for a small fee of all the different things. But if you follow me on Instagram, a lot of times I will put out there a freebie and just say, message me if you want my IEP checklist and I will use some of your email and I will send it to you. Um, you know, those kind of things. So if you watch out, I'll do that quite often because I'm all about helping other people and giving them those kind of ideas to help them along the journey. I, I typically um, will do that about once a month or even so if you ever just think about it and you're like, oh, I'll need that and I'll be happy to send it to you. Um, but it is, I have a about 20 pages in my IEP essential kit. So it has all of those forms that I've used and tweaked over the years, just using, seeing other people, seeing the districts, the ones from our state department. It was just too much. It was so long and my parents weren't giving it back to me. They weren't filling it out the way they needed to fill it out. And I was like, well, I wouldn't want to fill this thing out if I was a parent. And so I just created my own and have get a lot of feedback. Now we'll say I have three different versions for my parents because I do work with them. A lot of them I'll follow the kids kindergarten through third grade. And so no parent wants to fill out the same parent input form every single year. It looks like you don't care. You're just sending home the same sheet of paper. They're like, I filled this out last year. Well, send a different one, like send it in a different way. You know, their kid's a little bit older. You're going to ask a little bit different questions from a third grader than you would a kindergartner. And so that's why I think it's important to make sure you have those different types. 
So Meredith, one of the things that you had said and that I thought is just something that so many teachers need is a coach because we don't have training in college. We do come out of this and all of a sudden 20, 30 kids are dumped on you and you you want to do everything you can, but we just don't know where to begin. And so you do coaching. Could you tell us a little bit about what that looks like and how do people sign up for that? Um, just what kind of help and service can you offer? Definitely. So I looked at it like where I needed a really good mentor to help me out in my, my early years. And I've been doing that so often with the other special education teachers in my district and my school coming in and needing that help. Um, it just, it's one of those things that you know that everybody else probably needs that as well. And so I started researching it and looking like, how can I, can I help other people? What kind of platform can I use? And I was able to find the master IEP coach It's a mentorship. Um, and so I was able to take that mentorship and learn how to coach others, learn how to collaboratively work with other, other teachers, general education teachers, parents, how to make sure that your IEP meetings run smoothly. And so once I went through that mentorship, I just um, then again started doing it on another level and helping other teachers and kind of putting it out there. I have it on my website um, where we meet monthly and we can talk about anything on you know, how your caseload is going, what things that you, you might need or have questions about. Because sometimes um, teachers, special education teachers, don't feel comfortable asking those questions in their districts. They're afraid, like if they ask that, then it looks like they don't know what they're doing. Um, but if you don't ask, then you don't know. And so if you're not comfortable, you need somebody to rely on and trust. Or maybe you don't have a mentor in your area and you really do need one to help you through those um, the, all the processes and the paperwork. And what do you include? What don't you include? You know, what is important? And so that's all wrapped up into all of that coaching. And sometimes you just need somebody to listen to you. You just need somebody that you know is safe to to and like how did you have did you have this problem with this parent or did you have a problem with this um in your area and how they, how did you get through it what suggestions do you have so I do that um, with other special education teachers and help them and learn how to write their IEPs better. I, we, we walk through that and how to make IEPs manageable, measurable, and meaningful because if they aren't, then they're not going to help the student. So we, we do that as part of the coaching as well. That's wonderful. And I think something that more teachers need to know is available so that you don't feel like you're drowning, so that you don't feel like you're screwing up or any of those things. And I agree with you that some people don't want to ask the questions because they don't want to look like, oh my gosh, I should know this. Well, girl, none of us knew that. We learned the hard way. And oftentimes, I've said this before, even on the podcast, the things that I'm doing now are probably because I got my hand slapped for it before. Or it was something that it's like, I, I didn't know. But then what somebody tells you, you're like, oh man, how did I not know that? But we're just thrown in the deep end and we're expected to swim. And so people then, when you've been doing something for a year or two years or three years, they don't want to ask because they're, they feel like I'm going to look like an idiot. And so to have somebody who can kind of hold their hand through that would be tremendous. Yes, I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. And um, just knowing that you're helping other people and you just give them ideas. I've learned a lot from it too, but other people have given me ideas. So it's a lot of fun and um, enjoy it. That's great. So where can listeners find you um, on the internet? And then what will they find when they get there? So I am on Facebook, of course, and Instagram. Um, but yes, it's Meredith Mitchell's Methods. I like alliteration. 
Um, and so um, they're, the methods that I use, like I said, are just trying to help teachers and parents understand that IEPs should be written. You know, they should be manageable. You shouldn't write big, long goals that you can't, you can't manage. Um, so that's, um, and then they need to be measurable. If you don't put them, how you're going to measure an IEP and if you put un- unrealistic things on there, then they're not measurable and you can't do that. And then they need to be meaningful. So um, they need to make sure that that matters to the student, it matters to the teacher, and it matters to the parent or your IEP is not going to be successful. You can write all you want to an IEP, but if you don't implement it, if the general education teacher doesn't implement it, if another special education teacher picks up that IEP and they don't understand it because you haven't written it the way that you need to so that anybody can read it and understand all the data and information there, then it's not meaningful and that kid's not going to make progress because no one's going to follow it the way they should. And so that's kind of my methods. And I put that out there. I'm on Instagram under Meredith Mitchell's methods. I'm also on Facebook. And then I have my website um, that everybody can find me in the, in those places. And so on my website, I have an area where I have a blog, um, where I have the stories that I write on there. I also have some mini trainings that I've been putting on there recently, just about little things that I feel like it's helpful that I kind of do with my coaching. And I put that out there as freebies for everybody to watch and learn. And then I also have a book club. It's called My Sped Stories is on there. And then, but our book club is called Overbooked. I do it with me and my friends, um, Stephanie DeLussey. And we have a book club. We meet quarterly and we pick out books for special education teachers and we do professional development type books. So the areas that we need to grow and learn from, or then we also do some that aren't, that are related to special education as well to help us all. And so it's been a lot of fun. Um, a lot of special education teachers on there and we all get together and, and read and talk about the books. So it's just a, a neat, different thing that you can do just to make that connection because you shouldn't feel alone in special education. And a lot of times we do feel that way. And so if you can make those connections with other special educators all around the United States or wherever and share a bond with them, it just makes you feel like you're not alone and that you do have people out there to help you. I agree. And reading a book and then talking about it with special ed teachers is empowering because sometimes we don't get the opportunity to like kind of bounce ideas off of one another because sometimes we're the only ones in our building or the only person who's doing the same thing. Like, for example, right now, I do have two other teachers who are resource room teachers, but they teach different grade levels. So sometimes it's like, well, for mine, it's just a little bit different. And up until this last year, I didn't really have anybody else in my building who did exactly what I'm doing. So it's nice to have the online area to be able to talk about those things. Oh, definitely. And and even if a book is not written for special ed teachers to be able to then put on our special ed teacher hat and say, okay, well, what about this? And what about that? This is great for students with, you know, that kind of thing. I think it would be amazing. Yeah, we actually read a book together last time that was just about living a balanced life and trying to balance your career, balance your home life, balance all of those areas in your life. And so it was very relatable to special education and it's what we do as educators. Mm -hmm. So we try to pick different ones that will meet everyone's needs in a different way. That's great. Every summer I do a book study with my Facebook group and I love it. I want to do it all year long, but it's like, I can't keep up with all of that. So I think it's great that you do it once a quarter. That way, you know, you have your time, you can commit to that and it still be manageable and, and something that you could do long-term. Right. It makes it fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you meet for like multiple book 
you know, like book discussions or is it like, nope, we have this one day, once a quarter, and we talk about the whole book at that time? No. So we do meet weekly. Usually we meet four times. So we pick a book and we assign like each week, this is what you need to read. And then we pick a day that works best for everyone. And usually it's at night and we all get together on, you know, a virtual platform and get together and talk about the, whatever we read. And so we have like a, a little group that like a Facebook group that we will put out the questions like this are the questions we're going to discuss, you know, and this week so everybody can be ready and know what we're going to discuss. So usually it takes us about four weeks. Um, it just kind of depends on where holidays fall and things like that. Um, and, and we've had a lot of fun with it. We've actually had some of the guest um, authors come on. Uh, we were able to get them to come on and talk with us about the, the writing process and their book and things like that. So we have lots of surprises whenever we do different ones, um, just so to keep it interesting and keep it fun and keep, you know, the same people join. We have a lot of ones that keep coming back book after book. And then we want to, you know, encourage new people to come. So you never know what's in store when you join our Overbook Club because we like to put a lot of surprises in there for the people that join. That's good. That sounds so fun. And something that um, we need and it's something to like give us, I don't know, some energy, some positive vibes, some just time for ourselves. Actually, last night I recorded an episode, which I think will air right before yours. So listeners might have listened to this last week about self-care and just having like these practices that we're doing and being intentional about things and so I think it's building in time to do something for yourself and something that you enjoy. And reading books is like right up my alley with things that I enjoy. And just that personal development was one phrase she said multiple times in that episode, because it's not just professional development, it's growing ourselves too. And I agree with that too. And I think that's something that as special education teachers, we struggle with oh, is finding sure. right professional development for special education teachers. Let's face it. It's not out there. You have to search for it. You have to seek it. You have to want to find it because a lot of times the professional development that's provided is for general education teachers or it's for some, it's just not in, in what you're looking for. And so that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do it and pick certain books to help, you know, bring that area. Cause some people don't know, and it's like, well, let's bring it to their, the forefront. Let's bring it to their attention. You know, that that makes it a lot better and easier. And then we can do it in a fun way where you're reading and you're learning and you're talking. And so it's not so cold and informal when you're at a PD um, type session. So yeah, it's definitely made it fun and, and other people are really, really enjoying it with us. Good, good. I'm so glad. That's exciting and rewarding for you guys too, I'm, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with me this evening, Meredith. I've loved so many of your ideas. I think I'm definitely swiping your folder that you just prep at the beginning of the year and just utilize throughout the school year. I think that would save so much time, so much headache, you know, like you're not scrambling, you've got it all together. And I already kind of work backwards in the planning process. Like if I know that this IEP is due here, well, then you can't be scrambling the week before to get ready. You've got to back it up and look at your calendar and see when things are going to work. I'm already doing that. So I feel like this is an easy piece to just put in there that on week one of that process, that folder has to go home and, you know, or, or to the classroom teacher or, you know, pull the things out that I need. I think that's a fabulous idea that will save so much time. Well, I hope so. It definitely saves me time and the other teachers that I work with. And then it just kind of gives you a place to, to have a landing and have grounding and feel like you can take a deep breath 
because you've got that already done and you don't have to try to pull stuff from all the different places. Exactly. And then you go into a meeting prepared and ready. You've got all your ducks in a row. It's wonderful. I love it. You look professional and that you're ready to present all the information at one time. Definitely. Yes. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you so much. And I'll talk with you later. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.